So we are so glad you're here today. You know, we're living in confusing times. And one of the things that I believe with all my heart that's not confusing is what we as the body of Christ are supposed to be doing. And uh, over the last few months, we've been feeding people. And I know that God wants us to continue that. So I'm pleased to announce that through the month of July, we're going to continue with uh, our Friday night uh, feeding. And uh, it's going to be amazing. Food for Families has been just such a blessing. And so I'm telling you, uh, Jesus is well pleased when you and I do the things that he commands us to do. And so I, I pray that you just jump in. And uh, if you, if you want to give to that, you're more than welcome. Uh, we'd be happy to... Uh, connect you to that process so amen to that so today I'm going to continue in our series on the lies that we believe and today what I want to do is I want to connect with you with a cultural lie and show you how devastating it is and show you how much of it is in our own lives and then show you some steps to get out of it if that's okay with you so the lie that we're going to talk about today is the lie of entitlement you and I, I think you would agree with that. this, that you and I live in an entitled-based culture. We are raised in an entitled-based culture, and we have entitlement thinking. So let me see if I can unpack that for you in a way that, that I think you can relate to. On May 7, 2019, uh, USA Today reported an accident, a, a plane crash that happened in Russia. And in this, in this Russian plane crash, it was Aeroflot, and I've flown on Aeroflot many times, and it's always an act of faith to fly on Aeroflot because they just don't maintain their aircraft. And so there were 41 passengers that were killed last year in this tragic event. And what was interesting is, is the reports came out that showed uh, they actually had film of people who they did an emergency landing and crashed and people died. And uh, what made it even more tragic was people were actually going to get their carry-on luggage. That whatever was in this box was so important to them, whatever they possessed in it was so important to them that they were willing to put other people's life at risk in order to, to maintain that entitlement. Whatever that was in that box, it was a tragedy. And as you think about that, you think about your own life, and I wonder how often you and I fill our box with things and then, and then cling on to those things. That's called entitlement. So whatever was in there, in their personal belongings, they felt entitled enough to really create a, people in harm's way. So I want to just stop and ask you a series of questions. I want to start with the idea of how do I know whether I have a spirit of entitlement in my own life? And so let's just see if you can resonate with any of these questions that I'm going to ask you. Do you impose unrealistic demands on others? Do you do, do, you do that? And then get mad when they don't fulfill them? Do you create a dramatic, dramatic attention-seeking situations when you don't get your way? Do you always demand your way? Is it your way or the highway? Do you believe you deserve happiness and will seek to achieve it at the expense of others? And doesn't matter what God's word says, doesn't matter what others say, do you believe that happiness is your ultimate goal? I'm saying that you probably have a spirit of entitlement. Do you often blame others but excuse yourself for the same actions? Do you criticize, do you judge others and then find yourself doing the very same things? Do you take more than you give? 
in friendships, in relationships, in the body of Christ? Are you a taker or a giver? Would you describe yourself and would your friends describe yourself as a giver? Do you crave admiration and, uh, and uh, just the idea of being at the center of attention? Do you have a hard time negotiating or compromising? Is it, is it I have to have my way and I'm not going to even have any middle ground? So if you answered yes to some of those questions, I'm saying you probably have a spirit of entitlement. I'm telling you, when you and I were born in this country, we were raised, if you're a boomer in this culture, I'm telling you, you probably have a spirit of entitlement. If, you are, if you're Generation X, you probably have a spirit of entitlement. So it's one thing to live in, with an entitlement with one another. It's quite different to live with a spirit of entitlement before God. And so that's what I want to talk about today is that I, I'm, I'm going to kind of leave you alone in your entitlements with one another. But what I want to talk about today, which is dangerous, is do you have a spirit of entitlement with God himself? And so that's something that I think is so important for us to understand. I want to start with a scripture, and I want to tell you, I just want you to hear my heart in this. Having a spirit of entitlement with God is a very dangerous thing to your life. It's very dangerous for you to approach God with entitlement. So I want to take you to Matthew chapter 7, and I want to show you something. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa! Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then it says... Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I want you to notice something here that it's inescapable, that is so important. I want you to notice their appeal is something that is evil. Look at what they, this is what they're saying. Look at what I have done for you. They're coming before God and they're saying, okay, God, I'm bringing my baggage and my baggage is this. Look at all the things that I have done for you, God. Don't I, doesn't that earn me some favor with you? That's exactly what Jesus is responding to. And this is so insidious and so hard to recognize in our own lives. I want to tell you honestly, when I went through my illness several years ago, I can remember having these words come out of my mouth saying, Jesus, I'm just trying to serve you. Why don't, you, why don't you touch my life? Can't, don't you hear my prayer? I was appealing to Jesus on the basis of the fact of what I had done for him. And I, as, my, as those words were coming out of my mouth, I realized, listen to these words, how evil they were. For me to think in any way, shape, or form that, that I can gain favor with God by something that I am doing is entitlement. And Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Just so we would not miss the point, Jesus tells us another story in the Gospel of Luke so that you and I would grab a hold of it. Luke chapter 18. And this is how the story goes. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a person who would be true to believe in the resurrection, believe that the Bible, the Old Testament was the word of God, accepted all of all the Torah accepted all of that as God's word and was committed. They would be they would be in our culture people that would be associated with being devout inside the body of Christ. 
Two men went to pray in the temple. One was a Pharisee and the other one was a despised, notice that word, was a despised tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I certainly am not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give to you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector had a different response. The tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying this, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. When you read that, please don't be blinded because the fact is, is that there's probably more Pharisee in all of us than we want to recognize and realize, but it was the person who wouldn't even look to heaven, who didn't come to God on the basis of anything he had done, just simply acknowledged that he, that he had a problem and he had a sin problem. That's the person that was justified in the eyes of God. So then, okay, you recognize that just maybe I might have an entitlement mentality maybe I've been filling my baggage with the all the things that I've done for God and you know I'm giving a great collection and and I'm reminding God on some on a regular basis of how much I'm doing for him maybe that's you and maybe right now as I'm speaking the Holy Spirit is coming upon you and showing you that that is in God's kingdom not in man's kingdom but in God's kingdom that's evil so then the question is, how do I reject the lie of entitlement with God? And how do I live my life in a way that honors God in this life and in the next? So I think there are several things. There are three things that I want to share with you today. Probably a lot more than that. But I want to just share with you three things that I think are essential. First of all, you've got to discipline, you have to discipline your mind with truth. You must learn to filter the thoughts in your head so that the lies that you're believing don't take root and that somehow some way that you're just accepting them as the truth you've got to you've got to engage with the bible every day you've got to get into the scripture dig it out mine it out and filter it out memorize it put it in your heart whatever it takes and so that you have a tool that, that gives you the ability to filter some of these lies out in your life minds filled with truth recognize our woeful position apart from Christ. So how do I know when I'm filling my mind with the word of God? How do I know that I'm filling my mind with truth? Here's the reality of how I know that. Listen to this very carefully. When I am led to think, wow, look at how righteous I am, you're not filling your mind with the word of God. When you recognize how woeful you are and how deserving of judgment you are, because as you draw close to God, as you come close to him, you see in comparison to him how far your life falls short. Short. That's how you're going to know whether you are filling your mind with truth. So listen to what God said to Job and his three friends. They were having an argument one day and God shows up in the middle of the argument and he appeals to all, three of, all four of them. And this is what he says. He says, all, this is a series of questions. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? The implication is, you weren't even a thought yet. Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. God's using sarcasm here. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? 
or who laid its cornerstone. And the implication of all that is simply this, that only God could do that. And because he did it and you didn't, then your only reasonable response is to empty yourself of all of your self-righteousness and fall upon God for his mercy. You don't have the right to demand of God anything, nothing. The truth is, I want, but I don't need. And when I need, I can trust because his hand and his timing are, are always perfect. I don't deserve anything except for eternal separation from God. The only thing that I deserve, the only entitlement that I have that I can earn is I could earn my ticket to hell by my own entitlement. So my soul waits on God. He is faithful. So here's how we discipline our mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I ask the question. I don't know if you've ever had this discipline in your life. It is so good to ask the question, where does this thought come from? Where did that thought come from? Where does this idea come from? And in every argument that you have, in any conflict that you ever have, here's the reality of what you should be saying. If you don't have a spirit of entitlement, is that you, you ought to be saying to God, God, am I on the right side of this argument? Honestly, God, engage with God. Not Facebook, not the internet. You engage with God and you bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and you ask him this question, is this you, God, or is this me? And if you're unwilling to do that, my friend, you're probably one of the most dangerous Christians around. If you're unwilling to submit every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus, that's what we should be doing. So that's principle number one. We bring our minds captive to the obedience of Christ. Principle number two is we focus on several things. You, you bring focus to your life, and there are two specific things that you bring focus to. First of all, you focus, now listen to me carefully, listen to my heart, you focus on humility. That should be your focus every day. This is the great antidote for believing that God owes me anything, is when I focus on humility. So how do I focus on humility? You recognize who God is and who you are. And you make the appropriate response. One of my favorite Bible teachers is a guy by the name of Tim Keller. And uh, he was, in 1970, he was sitting in a Sunday school class and his teacher taught him this lesson. And so I want to teach it to you because it's so powerful. He writes about it in a book. He, uh, he says, his teacher was, he basically said this, assume the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, was reduced to a thickness of one sheet of paper. So the distance between the sun and us, one, one sheet of paper. Then... The distance between, imagine the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. Imagine that. And then the diameter of the galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. Then Keller's teacher added this thought. The galaxy is a speck of dust in the universe, yet Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power. That's who God is. You got that picture? He holds the universe, something you can't even begin to fathom how, you, how, how large it is. He holds the universe by the power of his word. And then he, this teacher said, finally ask her students, now, 
is this the kind of person that you ask into your life to be your assistant? That puts it in perspective. It really does. So you focus on humility. The second thing you focus on is on responsibility. On responsibility, not on your rights. When you come to the cross, listen to this very carefully. I, I'm going to say this as many times as it takes. When you come to the cross of Jesus Christ, you walk away as a servant. You don't walk away in any other fashion. You are a servant of the living God now. You forfeit your rights. You, your body is not your own. The Bible says it, it's everywhere. It's not just in one section of the Bible. It's everywhere. I now belong to Jesus. My mind, my heart, my soul, my body. And so now I need, to I need to focus on not my rights, but my responsibility. So what is my responsibility? My responsibility is whatever God places in front of me. Whatever is in front of me, I'm supposed to do it well. So Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work with... Work, um, let me start over. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as, a, as, as you work for him. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Martin Luther King, speaking to students in 1967, a group of junior high students, he says, whatever your lot falls, if you're a street sweeper, street the sweep, the, sweep the streets like Michelangelo. Sweep the streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep the streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep the streets so, so well that all the hosts of heaven and on earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. That's how you and I are to live every day, whatever's in front of us. Whoever's in front of us, that's what we do. The third principle is this. We fill our heart with gratitude. If I'm going to get rid of the entitlement mentality... I've got to focus on humility and responsibility. But there's something else I have to add to that. I have to, I have to figure out how to fill my heart with gratitude. The only thing that should be put in this bag right here is gratitude. That's all. The only thing that you should be filling up in this piece of suitcase is gratitude for what God has done for you, not for what you have done for God. And if you don't get that, my friend, there's something missing in your Christian life. The only, the only acceptable service or, or activity that you and I can do is to come before God grateful for what he has done and respond, letting that gratitude overflow in our lives to things that God puts in front of us every day. So I'm to fill my life every day with this gratitude. Now listen to this. The bigger our sense of gratitude, the smaller our sense of entitlement. Let me say it to you one more time. The bigger our sense of gratitude, the smaller our sense of entitlement. A grateful heart is an abundant heart. A grateful heart is a servant's heart. A heart that, that, heart that doesn't grumble, that doesn't complain, that doesn't push back, that isn't demanding their rights. A, a grateful heart is just someone who practices 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In the middle of COVID-19, you are to get down on your knees and you are to thank him. You, you're, you ought to thank him for the fact that you get to wear a mask because if you weren't breathing, you wouldn't have to wear a mask. Have you ever thought of that? You'd be dead. You ought to thank God in every 
circumstance. I'm not making this stuff up, friends. This is what the Bible says. We have to make a decision of, of whether we're living for the kingdom of God or living for our own kingdom. I've got to make that decision every day. But people who live for the kingdom are grateful people. It's a rare person who in his cup frequently runs over can thank God instead of complaining that he has a limited size of cup. Most of the time we say, you know, what's wrong with this cup? My, it's not big enough. That's a rare person who can just simply say, my cup runs over and I'm so grateful for that. So are you going to hold on to your baggage of entitlement? Are you going to do that? You have to let go. You have to let go of your entitlement to really see the power of God. Listen to me carefully. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm going to, you know, most everybody here, if you could, if, I, if you were here today and I would ask you to raise your hand, how many of you want to have the power of God in your life? I think nearly everyone would say, hey, I want the power of God. And I'm going to say that the only way to the power of God in your life is to empty your life of your entitlements and live for him. Because until you do that, you're still living for you. Focus on the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, his mercy that never fails. I want to ask you one final question. Do you believe that God is good? Do you really? Do you believe that God is good? Is his goodness so good that you don't need anything else but the goodness of God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. And may it not fall on deaf ears, God. May your spirit work in such a powerful way that you'll draw us to your throne, not because of what we've done, but because of your mercy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.